Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, we will begin in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus opens with his great declaration of the salvation that comes through grace in Christ and his thankfulness for the church and that they heard his message there in Ephesus when he was there to preach to them and to plant the church. At the end of chapter 2, he is beginning to speak on that the church, the people there in Ephesus are one, they are united in Christ. And we pick up now in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, as we turn toward this, as we look toward the nature of your people, remind us that we are no longer foreigners and aliens to you, but we are your people, redeemed and reconciled to you, called apart to live as the people of God. Lord, open our eyes and our ears. Help us to see you. Help us to love you more as we study your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In many, many ways, we live in an age of contradictions. You think of Dickens' words at the beginning of The Tale of Two Cities, where he says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and he goes through a list of contradictions that, it, that existed there at the beginning of the French Revolution. But we are in very much the same type of world. Sociologists and scientists have studied our times, and they have come to several conclusions that seem rather contradictory. One of them, which in the area of community, they talk about the fact that we are more connected now than we have ever been in the history of humanity, at least here in Europe and America. Think of the technology we have. We have cell phones that we can carry in our pockets to where at the drop of a hat we can talk or text to somebody a world away, half a world away. We have social media that we can look at where we can look at the lives that are presented for us there, lives of friends and family members who live across the country or across the state, or sometimes in our busyness that we can't see them, they live across the city. We are more connected now than ever before, and yet at the same time, we are less connected now than ever before. Many of these very things that connect us also separate us. The personas, the personalities we portray oftentimes on social media are not us. They're the us that we want to be, the us that we wish we could be, but they're not us. They're not real. The connections that are made, not face-to-face, -face, but mediated by electrical signals and electrical impulses on wires and computer screens and smartphones, we have lost the face-to-face -face connectedness that many that have gone before us have felt and established and, excuse me, treasured. Now, I don't have the talents or the time to unpack the reasoning behind these trends, but I do believe that God has given us a remedy for this lack of connectedness in our culture. 
We are taking part of it right now. It is the church. God has developed us. God has created us for community. In fact, the first thing in creation that was not good was the fact that man was alone. And so he created a wife. He created a helpmeet for him in order to begin and to be the foundation of community. And today God has placed his people in churches as a means of community. And so what I want to do over the next couple weeks is to look at what is the church. Today we're going to look at some marks, some characteristics of the church. What, how is the church described in scripture and also throughout the history of the church? And then we'll look at next week the, the why of church. Why has God called us apart to be a people? And then we'll look at what it means to actually be a member or a part of that church. But today I want to look at what is the church. Kind of the big picture answer to what is the church is simply the people of God. Now what does the people of God mean? As we look at the history of God's redemption throughout Scripture, we see that God has always pulled apart from Him for Himself since the fall a group of people to carry His blessing. After Adam and Eve sinned, the world descended into madness. We see at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 that everybody was as evil as they possibly could be. Claiming to be gods, claiming to be sons of gods, entering into evil practices. And God said, I will gather for myself a group of people, Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And I will use them to be a blessing to save humanity as I judge the rest of humanity. We read in Genesis chapter 12 that after Noah and his sons uh, began to populate the earth once again, that God once again called a couple for himself, that he was going to grow to be a people, the people of God. And we know that Abram and Sarai, their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah. Their son Isaac, their grandson Jacob, their great-grandsons, the twelve patriarchs of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, grew into a large nation that was called the people of God. And yet they failed as well. And ultimately Christ came and He set apart for Himself twelve disciples. And Jesus was the cornerstone. Those twelve disciples and the prophets of God were the foundation of the new people of God. A people of God that were not marked by genetic descent. A people of God that were not marked by geographic boundaries. But a people of God who were marked by the Holy Spirit. Who were marked by membership in the church. And so the short answer to the question, what is the church, is it is the people of God. But since we are a part of the church age, we are part of the age where the people of God are marked by the church, we look at these four characteristics that are listed here for us in the Nicene Creed of what is the church. After establishing belief in God, the Creator, and after establishing belief in the Son who was fully God and fully man, after establishing belief in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, it says this, and I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And today as we look to see what the church is, I want to define us by those four words. We're going to see that the church is one, we're going to see the church is holy, we're going to see the church is Catholic, and we're going to see that the church is apostolic. 
What does it mean that the church is one? Now, one or unified is not a word we normally think of when we think about the church. Because as we look across, across our, our country, as we look across our landscape, as we look right here even and fairly, there are definitely more than one church. So how is the church one if we have Methodists, if we have Presbyterians, we have Associate Reformed Presbyterians, we have Presbyterians in America, we have Orthodox Presbyterians, we have Evangelical Presbyterians, we have all kinds of Presbyterians just within that. Then we add Methodists, then we add Episcopalians, then we add all these other churches. How can we say that these churches are one? I say that the church is one in their belief in their doctrine. We have these, these beliefs that are handed down for us in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed, expanded upon in documents like the Baptist Confession of London of 1689, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the 39 Articles of the Episcopal Church. As I was doing the study for this particular sermon, I was looking at that London Baptist Confession of 1689. That's the section on the church in that confession, and I had to look to make sure I hadn't looked at the wrong copy, because it was almost word for word what the Westminster Confession of Faith, the document that I have to stand upon as a minister to say that I agree with it, as it teaches the Holy Scriptures, was almost word for word between these two confessions. We are one in what we teach. We are one in what we believe. And if there's a church or an organization out there that claims to be the church that is not one in what the Scripture teaches, J. Gresham Machen said in the early 20th century, said they are no longer the church. So we are one in what we believe. We are one in who we believe in. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. We believe in one God who reached down into creation to save and to reconcile himself to fallen humanity. We are one in what we believe. We are one in who we believe in. And yes, there are differences oftentimes in what we believe. We can just take the doctrine of baptism, and not even the whole doctrine of baptism, but just the doctrine of how we baptize. Do we sprinkle the water? Do we pour the water or do we dunk? Well, yeah. But all those churches who argue over the mode of baptism, you know what they don't argue over? The importance of baptism. They all baptize. When do we baptize? At infancy or at belief? Well, we can't always agree upon that, but we do agree that baptism is important. And so we are one in what we believe. We are one in whom we believe. But we're not only one, we're holy. What does it mean to be holy? At its very basic, the word behind holy means unique, set apart. What did God do with Abraham? He called him out of the land in which he lived. God established laws under the time of Moses for the nation of Israel. What were many of those laws designed to do? They were designed to make them look different and to separate them from the nations that surrounded them. We gather here today on a Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, I can expect to see you sitting in these pews. That's weird in our culture today. Because what are we doing on Sunday morning? What's the rest of the world doing? They're playing golf. They're sleeping in. They're tailgating for a football game. They're not here at church. We are called. We are set apart 
to be God's people. We do weird things as God's people. Things that are weird to the rest of the world. We pray, we sing, we pray together out loud. We, we proclaim weird old words like one and holy and Catholic and apostolic. We are called apart. We are special. We are unique as God's people. We are holy. And we are also being made more holy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Once He applies Christ's salvation to us, once He regenerates us so that we might embrace the grace that Jesus gives us, He continues to set us apart by making us more holy, more and more like Jesus Christ. So the church is one. The church is holy. The church is Catholic. Now, I'm not referring to a denomination when I say Catholic. The word Catholic at its root just means universal. We are one, we are holy, we are Catholic. If you were to look at all the different churches around the world meeting today, it's not just Americans, it's not just Caucasians, it's not just people of Jewish descent. It is all nations, all tribes, all tongues gathering together to worship God. The people of God is no longer defined by genetic or political boundaries. The people of God transcend all national ties, all ethnic ties, all language barriers. The church of God is represented by the whole world. And when we gather together in the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ returns, it won't be just us. It will be every nation, every tribe, every tongue that gathers. So the church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is apostolic. Now, probably the hardest word for us to say as we read there through the Nicene Creed, because it's not one we're used to. But what does it mean to be apostolic? Well, the Roman Catholic Church claims to be that the Pope is some way directly descended from Peter. And so that's how they claim to be apostolic. But how do we claim to be apostolic? It's there in Ephesians chapter 2. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. How do we know what it is that we are unified in belief? How has that been revealed to us? It's through the scriptures. And the scriptures are written by prophets and apostles. And that's how we are apostolic, is we are founded upon the words that have been given to us in Scripture. And you see how apostolic kind of loops us right back around to unity, to one there. We are a people of the book. We are a people of the revelation that God has given to us in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. These books that reveal who He is, these books who reveal who and what He has done in our world. And so, we are one, we are holy, we are Catholic, and we are apostolic. So how does the world know who we are? Because those are internal things that define us. Those are internal things that tell us who we are. What are the marks of the true church? How do we apply the characteristics we just, just, just considered? Well, if we are one and we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, if we are one and apostolic, then we are marked by the right and correct preaching of Scripture. 
my sermons, I attempt to make sure they are founded in the Word of God. And if they are not, you guys should know the Word, God, Word of God well enough to come track me down and say, Hey, Ike, I think you got this part of it wrong. And we'll talk about it. And we'll go over it. The right administration of the sacraments. Jesus gave us two sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Do we, do we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly? Do we celebrate it well? Do we have a right idea of it being the uniting of us in Christ in His death and burial and resurrection? Do we have the right idea of it being a remembrance of what He has done for us? And also, the church is marked by the right use of church discipline. Part of that being holy. Part of that being set apart. It's a reminder that God expects us to live by a standard. And discipline has a positive bent to it. Whenever church discipline occurs, the idea is for people to be reconciled to the church of God. It is for people to be reconciled to God Himself. And even the negative end of church discipline is designed to be a means of people being brought back to see the seriousness of their sin. Church discipline happens in everyday preaching and teaching. Church discipline happens in the specific instances where the session has to be brought in to the difficulty, to the sin. The church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 19th century Dutch reformer Herman Bovink states in his in his uh, reform dogmatics that all of humanity was created for community. And we see around us that oftentimes the strongest bond of human relationships is found in religion. People will abandon their families for religion. People will abandon their jobs for religion, their friends for religion. And the reason that is, is because God has created us and called us apart for community. We have idolized a form of community for the last century or so within the church and within our culture, and, and that form of community is marriage. For, for too long, we in the church and we in our culture have claimed that the only means of flourishing in the world is to be married. But we do not find ultimate fulfillment in human relationships. We find our ultimate fulfillment in the relationship and community with God and with His people in the church. God has redeemed us through His Son. And He has set us apart in that redemption and placed us in this community to fellowship, to worship, to study, and to grow together and to encourage one another. Are we one? Are we holy? Are we universal or Catholic? And are we built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? And do those things manifest themselves in our worship and in our fellowship as a community? Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, you have set us apart. You have created us as your people. You have made us one in doctrine. You have set us apart and called us as holy. You have called us together across all boundaries. And you have built us on the foundation of the apostles and Help us to live well as the church and help us to re represent you well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.